Are you guys okay? I think so. We were just on our way to hear you play. Well, we had a little accident when an invisible madman decided to hijack our tour bus. Back up a minute. Did you say invisible? And more importantly, did you say madman? What this could be to We're coming after you. You're gonna Big hello to all you mystery solvers out there, and welcome to Heavy Metal, a podcast about Scooby-Doo. I'm your host, Ethan Brundine, and each week, myself and a guest will take you through an episode from somewhere in the vast history of the greatest cartoon of all time. My guest this week is Kenny Sage, and he has selected What's New Scooby-Doo Season 2, Episode 9, Simple Plan and the Invisible Madman. Welcome to the show, Kenny. Great. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me, Ethan. I'm excited to be here. You got it. You got it. So, uh, Kenny, why did you select this episode? What drew you to it? Well, I love Scooby-Doo. Like, I've watched it all, all of my life, pretty much. Uh, yeah. Got a picture with Shaggy once. Uh, one time I went to, like, Six Flags. A picture with Shaggy himself? Yeah, the... The, the man himself. Wow. Right. What does he look yeah. like in person? Um, uh, he, he looks, doesn't have the regular proportions of a human being. Almost seems like a person in a costume, but that would be ridiculous. Like a Scooby-Doo episode, kind of. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So do they have six flags in Canada? Uh, no, it was during a trip to St. Louis. I see. I see. Yeah. Do they have any amusement parks in Canada? Uh, yeah, yeah, we yeah we have a few where. Oh yes, I'm from Canada, which factors partly into why I picked this one. But yeah, uh, where where I live in Alberta, we're near West Edmonton Mall, which is one of the larger indoor amusement parks. Right, because it's cold. Yeah, but then there's also like a local, uh, like a local like they call it Callaway Park near my place. It has couple good roller coasters like it's it's pretty small scale compared to like your six flags or your disneyland or whatever but you know it it gets the job done but cool anyway yeah. sorry i interrupted you why uh <laughs> why why'd you pick this episode yeah well i've always had i mean i grew up watching scooby-doo from pretty much all the areas that would appear on like canadian television but What's new Scooby-Doo is kind of the one that aired when sort of when I was in, I think I was like 12 to 14. So it was sort of the first new Scooby-Doo cartoon that was airing while I was like alive, pretty much. So I've always had an affinity for it. I think the theme song in What's New Scooby-Doo is arguably the best theme song in the series, though the original, it, you know, is also up there as... <laughs> one of the best and yeah i sure. i picked this specific so i knew i kind of wanted to do a what's new scooby-doo one and then i had forgotten that simple plan who did the theme song for what's new scooby-doo and is a canadian now they're just a pop band but they used to be more of a pop punk type thing around the era when they did this i forgot that they did an episode where they appeared as themselves and Someone right. who was pretty big into early Simple Plan, plan, and then pretty big into Scooby Doo. It just seemed like the perfect fit. 
I, it's, I can tell that. Uh, I was very excited when you picked this episode because this is a very rare episode from What's New Scooby-Doo in that it's one that I did not like as a kid and I would skip over. Um, so I I probably only seen this one once or twice before this. And uh, so I, I, I barely remembered anything about it. I think it was because when I was a kid, I did not have any attachment to Simple Plan. Um, did not listen to them outside of the uh, the songs that are in Scooby-Doo episodes, and there's one or two in the movies as well. Um, otherwise, I did not listen to them at all. Uh, so I found them, this episode, I guess, kind of annoying because I didn't care about who these people were. <laughs> um, so I skipped over it as a kid, but uh, I was excited when you picked it, and I went back and listened to the Simple Plan discography. Did not listen to all of it, but I listened to most of their most famous songs, and they're pretty fun. They're pretty fun. It's all songs about well, life sucks, and uh, and I want to get with this this girl, and she doesn't notice me, and stuff like that. And it's still, I fell back like. At this point, I don't really listen to Simple Plan, but sometimes I'll throw on I'll Do Anything, which they almost play in this episode. The, you hear like the start of it, and then it just gets interrupted, and they go to a different song. Or like I'm Just a Kid is like a really fun one to yeah. just shout out, out a lot. And That one's like the peak of, of teen angst. I was, looking at, I was listening to that one and cracking up the other day. Very funny. Yeah, and I think this episode's also fun because it's, Kind of like a yeah, modern take of... Well, I guess now the modern version is Scooby-Doo and Guess Who, but like this feels like them trying to capture the thing of that 70s thing where it was like Scooby-Doo and Batman, Scooby-Doo and the Harlem Globetrotters, where like yeah. Scooby-Doo would just yeah. team up with some random celebrity or fictional character for like an episode or two to solve some mysteries. This was the first episode with a a guest star like being a major part of the episode since the 70s they had not done that since then and it was uh and it's fun it's fun it's definitely um it's definitely centered around simple plan as an episode um i i don't know that it is a good episode of scooby-doo but it's a fun episode of scooby-doo for sure a lot of a lot of silly stuff happening in this one yeah and it's spoiler alert kind of murder on the orient express with like scooby-doo characters yeah for sure that was that is a, it is a fun reveal at the end um yeah what uh what was your favorite simple plan song as a kid was it uh i'm just a kid or was it a different one um, as a kid, I was probably addicted. Like, before I got kind of the wordplay with I'm a dick, I just, like, the thing of right. addicted yeah. to you. Like, that yeah. as a kid, I thought was good. But think, yeah, I'm just, I'm just a kid was up there. The, like, really sad simple plan one where it's like, how did this happen yeah. to me? That's the only one that I, I knew whenever I, I started listening yesterday. I was like, oh, this is a song that I have heard before. I do find that song to be very funny that it's called Untitled Parentheses How Could This Happen to Me? Close title. Like, like, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Simple like, plan. they weren't going to title it. <laughs> and then yeah, like, yeah. We were going to call it uh, How Could This Happen to Me? But actually, it's Untitled 
but with these parentheses to make it seem more deep or whatever. But I could yeah. guarantee you that if I was that if I was closer to your age, I would have been absolutely into this band. Like like even if I had had found that there's this period of my life I call this, there is this period of my life that I call my uh, iPod era, which is like before I got a smartphone, I had like an iPod shuffle or whatever. And I was like ages like 12 to 14 or whatever. And this that would if I had simple plan if I had known who they were outside of the people who sang the What's New Scooby-Doo song, I definitely would have been like completely into them. They would have been all over my iPod. Yeah, and it was definitely... I actually wasn't much of a music, music kid, but like my sister was really into Simple Plan, so I just hear that stuff a lot, and that became one of the ones where I'm like, oh yeah, this is good. And then that kind of sort of early, again, sort of early pop-punk stuff, like Simple Plan, Avril Lavigne, All-American Rejects, where I'm like, this is what music should be. For sure. Did she have a, uh, did she have a favorite member of Simple Plan? Um, I don't, I don't know if she did. Like, I think she had, like, a poster of him. Maybe she thought it was, like, the singer. I sure hope it wasn't the one who got cancelled last year, (laughs) but... Well... You know, she wouldn't have known anything about yeah. that. So, uh, okay, yeah, cool. Let's get into this episode. I uh, usually like to give some kind of background as to where uh, where the world was when the episode came out, right? So this episode came out March 14th, 2004. And here are some uh, headlines that you might have... Uh, that you might have heard around that time in March of 2004. So right around then, the Opportunity rover discovered water on Mars, or rather the existence of water previously. They didn't find water yet, but they, they that was the first time we knew that there had been water on Mars. And then uh, Martha Stewart is found guilty of insider trading. Do you remember that? Oh, yes, I, I do remember that. I remember my parents talking about it and being and, you know, being upset that she had a limited uh, sentence or whatever. It's like I did. I don't know about you, but I never knew of Martha Stewart as a TV show person. I just knew of her as the lady who went to jail because of insider trading. Yeah, I mostly saw like tabloid headlines, I think. And that was like my understanding of who Martha Stewart was like. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I definitely knew that she went to jail before I even knew what insider trading was, for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> then you also have, uh, lastly, George Bush urges Congress to define marriage as being between a man and a woman. That happened the day before this episode came out. So, <laughs> fun time to be in the United States. Yeah. Also, uh, uh, yeah. Everyone's favorite president. <laughs> that's right, that's right. But, you know, for Simple Plan and for, for young Kenny Sage, that wouldn't have mattered because you were in, in Canada at the time. And who cares? Who cares yeah. what those kooks do down, down south? I mean, I think that's getting around to the point where, like, I start becoming very interested in what's going on in America when I realize that, I'm, for the most part, American politics are much more exciting than Canadian politics. And they're definitely that. I will tell you, you know, I was looking for... 
semi-lighthearted things to share, but a lot of what was going on in uh, 2004 was a lot of bombings and and, and terrorist th- uh, attacks and things like that. It was like, oh gosh, this is <laughs> not yeah. a cheery note I want to start my episode on. Yeah, I'm sure this is getting around to the point where I have a conception of George Bush is the bad guy. He shouldn't be in power. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember my first memory of the news and this is kind of interesting based on uh, things that are coming out in in the news right now as we're recording this but my first memory of something being on the news was britney spears with her head shaved trying to break into a car with an umbrella like you know like i don't my earliest memory had nothing to do with you know like the the iraq war or George Bush or anything like that. It was Britney Spears and and they were talking on the news about how she's lost her mind or whatever. Ah, uh, yes. It was a fun, fun time that no one regrets at all now. Absolutely not. Absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> I, yeah, I think the first news story I was like acutely aware of, like on a global scale, was 9-11, which occurred while yeah. I was... W- which occurred while I was watching cartoons one morning before school. I was watching Garfield and Friends, and then suddenly I'm like, Mom, the the TV switched to news? Oh, man. And it took a minute to register why it had switched to the news. Yeah, that's, a, that's unfortunate. Uh, yeah. I can imagine, yeah. Okay, so uh, let's get into this episode. Um, so, so right off the bat, Something that I found very funny. Obviously, um, you know, you, you mentioned you picked this episode uh, because it's set in Canada and Simple Plan and all that. And the very first thing we see in this episode to establish that we're in Canada is a moose. Like, immediately, as soon as the uh, the episode yeah. starts, there's a moose walking across the road. Do yeah. You, is that accurate, do you think? Um... I mean, it depends where you are in Canada. I live closer to the w- to the west near the mountains, where there are sometimes like moose. Yeah, M- moose is whatever the plural is wandering around. If you go up to say Banff or something, but yeah, you're typically not going to see a uh, moose in in Canada. It's yeah. Also, notice it was snowing. This is a winter yeah. set yeah. episode. <laughs> Of course, of course. I mean, it's one always of, snowing in Canada. Yes, famously, one of the other things that gets associated in with Canada you, is that it snows a lot. How do you feel about Canadian representation in media? Do you does it does it make you laugh, or do you go, "Come on"? Um, yeah, I went I back think, and forth for the most part. For the most part, I find it. Funny, like it, it depends on like the cl- the cleverness of the reference. Like, yeah. I think How I Met Your Mother got by for like a long time on just a running thing where they had Colby Smulders be Canadian, and initially the idea is like, oh yeah, we'll just do how much more reasonable Canada is than like America, and then the joke just becomes Canada, like just as many stereotypical Canadian jokes as possible for nine seasons, most of which were very funny. Up culminating in like an final season episode that ends with Neil Patrick Harris just listing off a bunch of things that are cool about Canada while like Alan Fick and Wayne Brady sing a parody of like a crash test dummy song. Wow. I think uh 
I'm in a similar place in that I'm from Texas, which, of course, many people I'm referred to as the Canada of the South, right? Um, everybody says that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but it is a similar way where it's like, you know, Texas is a big place, a lot of, lot of diversity in the people and the environment and the, and the places. But, you know, like every time it's on a TV show or whatever, it's like a, a train rolls up to the desert with like, you know, everybody wearing 10 gallon hats and, 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 uh, and tumbleweeds rolling around or whatever, which could be funny, but it also could be like, okay, sure. Yeah. The famous Texan drawl. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, yeah, I actually live in what could be considered the Texas part of Canada. Got a lot of oil and cow ra- cows and such. Like, ranching is a big part yeah. of it. And my How city has, feel... like, a yearly rodeo every year. That's... Cool, cool. How do you feel about um, Letterkenny? My, my dad loves Letterkenny. I've actually never seen, seen Letterkenny. Like, it was... In Canada, it airs on Crave, which is kind of HBO Max, kind of not. And I have, and I have it, and it's been on my list to get to, but I just have not got around to it. It just kind of went in a thing with like Trailer Park Boys, is something that yeah. I might get some enjoyment of, but don't have like a ton of interest in getting to. Like, yeah. I should probably check it out one of these days. Like. The novelty might uh, wear off because uh, it's kind of like me. Like I don't, I haven't watched King of the Hill because it might hit a little bit too close to home with some uh, some family members I have. <laughs> but we'll see. But I think Letterkenny is a. Uh, it's funny, but my dad just goes crazy for it. Anyway, uh, so the episode starts. We see a moose, right? And and you know, we're it's a cold open with the uh, the. The simple plan on the on their on their bus, they're driving through through the middle of nowhere in Canada, and uh, quickly, we realize that something is amiss on this bus. There's an invisible madman. They're very clear throughout this episode to refer to it as a madman. It is not the invisible man. I don't think which is copyrighted the term the invisible man, but they always say it's an invisible madman, which I found yeah. kind of funny. Yeah, we're being terrorized by some calling of invisible madman. They don't even suggest it's a ghost. It's 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 an <laughs> invisible person. Like, it is for yeah, it's for sure an invisible madman, no doubt. So I do find it funny because like the the first thing he does is he takes their drumsticks and starts playing or whatever, and it's like okay, a little a little stinker, and then he immediately like like throws the bus driver down and crashes this bus, like nearly killing them, and it it it, it sets up a uh, a dynamic we'll see throughout the rest of this episode, which is the invisible madman switching between just being a little shit and being actively murderous. <laughs> like, it's really <laughs> strange to me. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I said, it's, all, it's also funny that that's like the, yeah. I mean, I, I guess most of the cold opens on the thing don't necessarily involve the Scooby gang in places that's normally set up for the mystery. It's funny yeah. that this cold open ends with, like, simple plan van going off a cliff. and uh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're dead maybe who knows maybe okay yes yeah, so we go through the theme song and then we come back to another to the moose again but this time it's the uh it's the mystery machine that's that's driving through the snow 
And uh, we learned that they're going to a Montreal music festival, which Daphne learned that Simple Plant will be playing at through her magazine, Groupie Monthly. <laughs> Would you be subscribed to Groupie Monthly, Kenny? Um, yeah, I, I don't think I'd be subscribed to that. Like, I mean, at the time, the only magazine I was subscribed to was like Lego magazine. <laughs> hell yeah, hell yeah. It is also funny that what's new Scooby-Doo, one of the big kind of, or the gimmick is they have access to computer technology now. Like right. the theme song has a clear thing of them all standing around the computer as a thumbprint scans. But it's very funny that it's still pretty early internet where like you would have to read a magazine to find out that the big festival's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like it goes straight from her talking about this magazine to Velma saying that she has invented an MP3 player, right? She invented this herself, yes. manufactured it, and it can hold up to, get ready, 400,000 songs. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Very cute that that was like the, uh, you know, the end-all be-all yeah. at the time. Like, no one could even imagine anything more than that. Yeah, it was the height of technology. Say so it's also interesting because I think something about what's new Scooby Doo. Obviously, I haven't covered much of go in is we forgot that the premise of the thing is also they just they're just randomly traveling the world. Like a lot of episodes are just oh they're they're in Pompeii, they're yeah. in Canada, they're like this one here now. Yeah, this iteration is very much a a travelogue, even more so than any other. Yeah. Really. Which I like. Yeah. I actually kind of prefer it that way. Um, it makes sense for them to for them to just be friends going on vacations with each other who then have to solve mysteries rather than just being a bunch of freaks who are into solving mysteries together and, and go out searching for that stuff. Yeah, here they're rarely like go looking into like the kind of mystery going on. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do like it. And uh, so like, you know, they're they're driving along and they they come across the uh, the simple plane bus tipped over on its side, com like completely submerged in the snow, which is not a great scene to come across. I wouldn't say. And yeah. again, as is classic with uh, with Scooby Doo, at least certainly during this era, do they call nine one one or whatever it is in in Canada five 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 or something? What is it? <laughs> Oh, it's nine one one. It's nine one one. Okay, it's the yeah, same. that works. Yeah, uh, it's the same. So uh, they don't call nine one one. Of course, they uh, you know they have to investigate themselves, and luckily, everybody, all all simple plan, and their singular, singular one roadie <laughs> are fine. They're totally fine inside this this bus that we saw go completely off a cliff, and it and you know get completely submerged in the snow, but. They're all good, so don't worry about it. I do find it funny that they have one roadie for the entire band, and he also uh, drives the bus. <laughs> like they have one one lackey who does everything, and then it's just them, just the just the six of them out on the road. Yeah, I'll say it's also funny that like this is like a thing with Simple Plan because I think even at the height of Simple Plan plans popularity like it's not like they were the beatles they're not very distinctive personalities like it's yeah. to a point where one of the characters is talking a lot i'm like oh this must be the the lead simple plan plan guy 
or something. And then it was their Zeke, their roadie, an original <laughs> character for like the show. Yeah. And the yeah. rest of the band just like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Well, I will say, I mean, yeah, you're right. It is funny. Like I I couldn't tell you any of their names or whatever. Um I they are but they're in the episode. Like like they have lo- lots of lines and bits and things and how would you how would you rate their voice acting performances, yeah. Kenny? <laughs> would you say that they are good? <laughs> yeah, uh their voice acting's alright, but the character design makes them look terribly old. Like Yeah, there's one that is particular looks particularly old compared to the others. Like there's one who's like, dr- drawn with almost gray hair and looks like he's yeah. like fifty. They look like twenty twenty one simple plan and not like simple plan in their prime. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But don't worry, they all have the spikiest hair except for the bald one. Like they have yeah. their hair is absolutely to the sky. Yeah, is, very period appropriate. Of course, of course. Um, as you say, this is a winter episode, so the uh, the characters are in their um, their alternate winter clothing, which is nice or whatever. But Velma is still wearing the miniskirt, which I find very funny. Like she's got these these like knee high snow boots on, but she's not wearing any like any tights or leggings or anything. She's she's got a, a coat and then the mini skirt and then the boots, which you know more power to you, Velma. I guess go for Maybe it. Maybe it's a thermal mini skirt she invented. Could be, could be. You're you're very much right. You're very much oh, right yeah. about that. Also, it's funny that while these are alternate outfits, they still look basically they have the exact same color schemes and patterns as their regular clothes. Yeah. Well, you know they uh, they understand yeah. the the mystery ink understands branding. They they know that how to. They know what their looks are, and they know how to accentuate it. Fred's is basically exactly the same. It is funny. He's yeah. just, like, wearing a hat. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so they, you know, Simple Plan's all right. They, they, they're meeting up with each other. Naturally, they all know who, who the band is, because they're going to see them, which is, which is you know, can, good. Like, if they had just come across a random band, it'd be kind of embarrassing if they were like, yo, we're on our way to headline the Montreal Music Festival. You've never heard of us or whatever, but uh, yeah. it is nice they are that they are excited to see them. Yeah. Um, well, though again, it just makes it more glaring. But like again, like Simple Plan was pretty big in their pro- prime, but like the, the way they act, it's trying to think what's comparable. Like it's like it's like Green Day or something. Just yeah, also for sure. a big band at the time for sure. Um, I think even I would know Green Day. <laughs> like I yeah. would recognize them. Um, so while they're talking, the uh, the Invisible Man, back to murderous mode, uh, is cutting the uh, the brakes on on the the mystery machine. Really blatantly, by the way, like any of them would have had to just turn their head like an inch. But also, like we see it happening behind the mystery gang, right? We see it behind their shoulder. But if we you know if we followed the one hundred eighty. 80 rule, right, the 180 degree rule, and then they are talking to Simple Plan directly across from them. So theoretically, Simple Plan is watching this happen behind them and not saying anything. Yeah, but the only one who notices is Scooby-Doo. Right, right, right. It's incredibly bad at communicating that something is happening to the van. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, he's 
He's a dog. Give him, yeah. give him some slack. Like, he <laughs> tries to get Velma's attention, and then he does like the thing, and she thinks it's just charades. But then they're like, everyone get in the van. And he's like, okay. Like, <laughs> he can talk, but he conveniently forgets how to whenever it's actually important. Yeah. So then he just goes into this van that doesn't have working brakes and seems shocked when that starts happening. Yeah. So, so you know, rule of threes. We saw the moose at the beginning. Saw the moose after the uh, after the commercial break, and it comes back and pays off in a big way because they finally see the moose as they're driving and have to swerve to hit it after realizing that they their brakes are cut. And they uh, also the mystery machine also goes into a snowbank, which uh, is uh, bad, <laughs> I would say. Have you ever have you ever driven into a snowbank, Kenny? Uh, I I mean, ne- never quite the size of like the stuff they get they get into where the cars like I've certainly had had been in cars I've gotten stuck in snow a couple times. Um, once when I was learning to drive in con- country roads, I was not sure how to like stop stop the vehicle, and it was in an icy patch, and I went off road and. Drove, drove, kind of through, a, yeah, through sort of a fence, a fence that it's, um, it was like a barbed wire fence, but the barbed wire is like mm-hmm. just stretched just enough, like it scratched the roof of that car a little bit, but like otherwise, it didn't even seem to break the fence and just kind of drove into this field and just yeah, that was like I think the second time I had tried dri- driving and. Somehow I did not give up immediately there. I'm like, oh, yeah, gosh, yeah. that is a that is bad luck. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. At a certain point, I'm like, oh, I have to hit a brake if I want the car to actually slow down or do anything. But yeah. so naturally, you know, like the the mystery machine is is broken down, and uh, they have to hike to the nearest town. And we see a sign; it is two miles away. They're walking. They didn't prepare at all, right? Like, they don't have any kind of... Like, I feel like if you're going out on a trip through the wilderness, right? I'm from Texas, so I don't actually know about this kind of stuff. You know, like, I don't have a lot of experience driving through the snowy wilderness. But you should probably prepare some way for, like, if your car breaks down, right? That would be a good idea. Yeah. But instead this is where I should also note that Canada doesn't do miles, we do kilometers. Ah, right. Well, you know, so they, it's like a con- stupid American kids, they had to, they had yeah. to dumb it down. Yeah, continuity, like, error, or like, Canada catch. Just yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, so like, they, uh, they have to hike through the snow for two miles to this town, which does not sound good for you. But they don't seem to have any problems with it. Like they get there, they're not even cold when they finally arrive. Like they're not they don't enter like shivering or whatever. They're like, all right, here we go, cool. But they make it to this town it's described as a ghost town. It's called Huntersville. And they meet what seems to be the only resident, Jack Hunter. Now, what do you think of Jack Hunter, Kenny? Oh, I mean he's <laughs> It's an interesting character in that, I guess, much as 
I assume his name is a bit of a pun on Jack of all trades because we quickly find that he seems to be the only person who lives in town or at least works at any of the businesses in the town. Yeah, he, like, he plans to, he wants, he has big plans for, for uh, Huntersville and he's going to, to, you know, set up all these things, all, you know, like a drive-in movie theater, a water park, he says, all these things, but literally nobody lives here. Um, but what I found most baffling about Jack Hunter was his accent. Is that... A, would you say that is a parody of a of a Canadian accent? Um, I don't think so. Like, I don't think I don't. Think it so it sounded like it was just like a tough guy accent. Like, I mean, do you know anyone in the world who speaks like this man does? Um, no, not but not that I, I can think, think so of. either. It is. It, it's truly baffling to me. I was like, I don't know if they're trying to do, like. Southern Canadian, and that's just not something that I know because it sounded like halfway between a southern accent and like a mid Atlantic accent at the same time. It's it, it was very strange and, yeah. and very foreign, <laughs> yeah. Maybe that kind of thing is common in Quebec. Could also, be, if yeah. also, one of the noted things about Quebec is Quebec is very heavy on people speaking French there in most places, like, right. right. Yeah, I did. I did take notice of Simple Plans accents. They all had uh, had classic, like midway between SoCal and Canadian accents. It was very funny. Then there was like one of them that had noticeably more of a, a French Canadian accent. I'm gonna guess that one's the one whose name is Pierre, but I don't know for sure. Also, I mean, they do a fine job, like you say, but like you know, they're not voice actors they're just kind of reading the lines which is okay they don't it's not bad per se yeah it's like you know they came in to read the lines and just hang out with the scooby-doo people and go yeah oh we'll go with the dog he seems super brave yeah 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 yeah. Uh, so but of course you know like simple plan they get there first thing they have to do is they have to sing a song they have to play a song Yes, so they, of course. They put on a little a little concert for us. We get maybe 30 seconds of music. <laughs> and then the Invisible Man's back, but this time he's in little stinker mode and he just wants to start a food fight, I guess. <laughs> like it is really I just I just don't understand his motivation. <laughs> I mean I, I mean I I definitely don't understand his motivation, so we'll get into that at the end of the episode. But I, like <laughs> I guess this is the you only know, time in Scooby-Doo that they do an Invisible Man as a villain, and I guess they just didn't really yeah. know what to do. <laughs> like, they didn't have a plan yeah. for you know, what It's possible it's do. a clue to the nature of the villain, like, not to get way too far ahead of ourselves there, but maybe there's a reason that sometimes he seems murderous and sometimes he just wants to start a food fight. You're right. You're very much right. It's not, it's not schizophrenia, as you might say. Uh, suspect. Um, so they, you know, like one of one of the the band members gets um, gets abducted as as the rest of them will over the course of the episode. So they do split up, and half of the remaining band members go with uh, go with Shaggy and Scooby, and the other half go with you know the rest of them. And uh, Velma's group makes it to what initially appears to be an abandoned computer lab in the, in this 
ghost town. Mind you, the only other person we've met is, uh, is Jack Hunter, right? So we make it to this computer lab, and Velma suspects something's up. And something is up, because who should work there but Gibby Norton? Now, Kenny, what do you think of Gibby Norton? Um, Gibby Norton is interesting, because I had, I had forgot, like, the moment he showed up, I'm like, oh, right, this guy! Because yeah. one of the things What's New Scooby-Doo does to try and set set it apart from other iterations of it is it has recurring characters beyond yeah. like the Scooby gang who pop up. And one of them is Gibby, who is essentially a rival for Velma, who's this, this sleazy guy who has like the hots for Velma and is often, if not directly like the antagonist of the episode, tends to be connected with why like the mystery is happening. Like if Gibby shows up, you're like, all oh, right, it's just something going on here. Yeah. 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 You, you mentioned it like what's new Scooby-Doo has, has just a taste of continuity. It's more of like a Simpsons continuity in that who knows when all these things are actually happening. Theoretically, they're all happening within like the same year or two, but there are a few characters that, that, crossover and a few other things like the hot sauce that that shaggy uses later on this episode we have seen previously when they went to new orleans um but gibby norton is probably the most memorable one who crosses over other than maybe melbourne o'reilly i do like melbourne o'reilly <laughs> but uh gibby norton uh you know he's this he's this he's very much a capital n nerd so much so that he is voiced by eddie Deason. Like the man who invented the stereotype of the nerd, and he looks like Eddie Deason. He does. He does. I mean, you might as well if you're gonna go. You know, if you're gonna go in, go all in, right? Yeah. Now, this is what where my problems with this episode really start. In that, um, you know, typically speaking, the logic of Scooby Doo does not make is not you know the most consistent with the real world, right? But uh, in this episode, there is really <laughs> no no consistent internal logic here because we've, we've established this is a town where nobody is here. And then we make it to this, this computer lab whose only employee is Gibby Norton for some reason. And they have all these, you know, like we have all these computers in this town in the middle of nowhere and we know that Gibby Norton is an American. We've seen him before, always in America. But he's working on a secret project for the Canadian military. Which is... Contract weird. work? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I guess, I guess you're right. You're right. <laughs> we, I mean, it wouldn't take a Velma to guess that he is creating some sort of an invisible man suit for the Canadian military, right? Yeah, it's the moment he shows up and he's like, I'm working on an experiment. You're like, okay, this is why like the invisible man thing is. Like yeah. it's it uh it reminds me of in the Invisible Man reboot that came out last year. There's that <laughs> uh there's that line that people were clowning on where Elizabeth Moss is 
talking about her husband, the crazy adventure guy, and she's like, he's a leading, uh, he's a leading innovator in the field of optics or whatever. And it's like, okay, <laughs> it's just, it's just bullshit because you know, like obviously invincibility isn't really possible, but you know, just, just stretch your your mind a little bit, and it's okay. But Gibby isn't the only person who is, uh, who is in this ghost town. Like, you're right. Contract work. I can understand it. Maybe they need to be out here in the middle of nowhere in Canada for the servers to be, you know, cooled off because it takes a lot to make an invisible man. Um, but they, they make it to this other lodge, basically, and we meet our third and final character in the uh, in the episode, Montre- famous Montreal fashion designer Eve de la Fay. Now I ask you, Kenny, why in the world is a world famous fashion designer who Daphne recognizes by sight in this town in the middle of nowhere in Canada? Well. Oh. Sometimes, yeah, when you're in the world of high fashion, you want to get away. Um, again, I don't live in eastern Canada where this episode is set, but, like, I, I assume, like, it's a fairly chic place, you know? Maybe they're trying to, yeah, just looking for inspiration. But, yes, it makes no sense why anyone, yeah, is in this town besides Jack Hunter. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh I did. I took notice note of what <laughs> Daphne says. This uh, Eve de la Fay created her. Uh, her trademarks are the zipless parka, the really really mini skirt, and the mock turtle scoop neck. <laughs> so clearly, she's an innovator. So good for her. <laughs> and uh, she's also doing a quite to the accent uh, she clearly is supposed to be canadian i'm I, i'm not gonna look up who voiced her but i'm gonna guess it's uh gray griffin who does uh daphne probably just doubled up here and put on a celine dion impression um it's serviceable <laughs> you know it's recognizable as canadian yeah you go in and you're like oh yeah this is uh yeah yeah, this is like a yeah, French Canadian person, I guess. Just <laughs> yeah, funny sure. that she just I guess up. It. Yep, 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 yep. Um, <laughs> it is at this point we are now halfway through the episode that we discover our first clue. Halfway through the episode, uh, Velma discovers band equipment in Eve de la Fay's closet. Now. What could that mean? Kenny, what do you think? What does that mean? Hmm. Well, uh, I mean, that makes her seem kind of suspicious, if you... Could be, could be, for sure. Um, so, at some point, another one of the band members gets, uh, gets... No, that hasn't happened yet. Never mind, sorry. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. What happens next is... Fred, for some reason decides to get Scooby-Doo to sniff out the Invisible Man. Now, I say for some reason for two reasons. One, this is not a regular thing that happens on the show. 
it's nice that they remember that Scooby-Doo is a dog and that they can do this or whatever, but he very rarely do they uh, put the nose to work. Now, I would be fine with this if anything came from it, but literally nothing comes from it. Scooby smells some pancakes or whatever and runs off and, and gets distracted, and then they just go walking through the woods and waste, like, two minutes of this episode, which is a problem because... The pacing in this episode is atrocious. It's really bad. Like they they front load everything up in the beginning and it, and you know spend all this time like getting to know a simple plan or whatever, and then they just race like a like a runaway train through the ending and and, and get out of here super quick. And I also noticed there's like very little pauses or room to breathe in between lines like it's just cut 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 we gotta go we gotta go we got more stuff we gotta shove in here we got another simple plant song we gotta play which i don't know maybe if i if i watch some more what's new scooby-doo i'll find out that it's just more zippy than i remember it being but i felt that it really showed in this episode yeah it's definitely weird weirdly paced like i'm just Trying to remember now, does the Invisible Man even like chase Scooby and Fred in that thing, or is it just like they go off somewhere? Or, like, Walking through the snow, and then yeah. the Invisible Man it hits him with some snow or something. Like he gets wiped yeah. out. Oh, oh, right. And Scooby's able to revive him using hot sauces, smelling salts. Yes, yes, yes. And it's like, okay, fun. That's a fun little bit of business, I guess. But it was literally yeah. just like negative time that could have been used for other things i guess yeah and um, then they go i think right from there to fred going i have a plan yeah 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 well they uh yeah so what happens next is uh you know this happens they find another clue um in the uh in the in the in the lodge again they find uh a piece of reflective clothing or a cloth of course because, um, you know, that's how you make somebody invisible, right? You, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you just put some mirrors on them. You wouldn't see yourself. You would see straight through them. That's how it works. That's how it works. Um, so, yeah, so, like, they find these two clues. These are the only clues in the episode are the, the, the instruments in the closet and this this scrap of reflective material, and then Fred and Velma are like, "Well, we got it. We figured it out." I mean, there is a third clue, and that's everyone has an alibi. Yes, like, yes, yes. This is this is causing uh, Velma a lot of frustration because she believes that it it well it has to be Gibby Norton because it's always Gibby Norton. But then Gibby's there whenever the Invisible Man. Back in killer mode is driving the uh, the snowplow, right? And then so then it has to be Eve Delafay, but Eve Delafay's there when somebody else does this or whatever. And you know, so who could it be? Can't be them. So we get into a uh, right after this. Fred gives Simple Plan the band Scooby Snacks. Right now, uh, all right. That's a really f funny scene in the thing of them just acting like Scooby Snacks or something, whatever, and they're like, what's that? Like, dog food? Yeah, like, they they just... explicitly ask if it's dog treats, so we know that in this yeah. iteration of Scooby-Doo, Scooby Snacks are definitely dog treats. 
But then one member eats a Scooby snack. Not all of them. One member. And he goes, we're in. Like, it's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know. In for penny, in for pound, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so then we get a, a classic uh, Scooby-Doo montage. The song is a simple plan song, of course, has to be. Um, yeah. I don't have much to say about this part, but I do find it funny. Uh, they. They get on a sled, right? Yeah. And uh, the name of the sled shop is Hot Dog Jack's Sled Rentals. <laughs> who is Hot Dog Jack? Is I mean, Jack, Jack Hunter. Jack Hunter? We haven't heard him be called Hot Dog Jack up to this point. Uh, is there something you're not telling us, Jack? And B, who's renting these sleds? And... Can I get a hot dog at the sled rental place? Yeah, a lot of questions. I'll say something about the plan is, and like in the old old Scooby Doo, like yeah, you know the chase scenes were pretty simple. It was a lot of like going down the same hallway and you get some stuff, and usually there was some kind of plan that made sense. In this one, the plan seems to be simple: plan plays their stuff, and then the invisible man just chases everyone around. Yeah, then we'll just run away. They don't make a trap of any kind. <laughs> they, yeah, they don't think about it at all. And there are several points where they are actively like grabbing onto or interacting with the invisible like madman in a way yeah. where you think they try to like pull off whatever masks they could possibly have, but then yeah. instead they just go to. You know, they they give him a makeover, or they turn him into a snowman. Like yeah, stuff. They, like Shaggy and Scooby squirt him with cheese whiz and stuff. And like at all these points, you're right. You're like, okay, well now we can see him, right? You know, like that's the classic thing. Like in a in the movie when the, when she throws paint on his face or whatever. Like, okay, now we know where he, we know where he is. It'll make for this scene to be more more tense and more grounded, and we'll be able to catch him or whatever. But then you know they just cut to the next little bit in the montage and he's lost whatever covering they've put on him or whatever. Scooby and Shaggy run right through these giant like Tesla coil things and they're totally fine. And then the uh the invisible man runs through and we see him get electrocuted and I would think with the amount of voltage that's coming off these things like visible lightning that this person in the in the suit would be just bacon, like just destroyed, absolutely dead. But no, they're totally fine. I mean, yeah, it's it only seemed dangerous. Like it, it's it's like especially because like they're not exactly entirely sure how the invisible suit works. It seems like a kind of a risk to get them like zapped, but it seemed more graphic than Scooby Doo usually is. I guess is what I mean to say uh yeah but that is a a wild thing so they this is where we have our ending reveal that is not just one person under the mask it is all four suspects it is zeke the roadie it is jack hunter it is eve de la fay and of course it is Gibby Norton, which is where you say this is the Orient Express ending. Yeah. Now, uh, 
I've looked, I looked it up, and I think that this is the first time that they did that in the history of Scooby-Doo. And this is like, you know, 25 years in at this point, which is kind of crazy that they didn't think of doing that before. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, idea, and it's, yeah, it's something that, again, I think, you know, we're in, in theory, this is like a great twist. Because, well, initially it's just like Zeke, and they're like, what? No, it can't be Zeke. He was here for all this stuff, and that's when Velma does the whole, well, it was actually everyone. Everyone who was like a su- suspect thing, and yeah, yeah. Which uh, let me ask you something, Kenny. What is her evidence of this? Well, her ev her evidence is um, Gibby is a scientist who can make an invisible thing. Eve is a fashion designer who could build Thank it into you. a suit. Um, then Jack and Z. I forget what the thing was for. She had something of how they all could have worked together to do it. It's isn't... right, right. It is. It's just. Yeah. It's very funny to me because, like, like I said, they find two clues. They find music in in a closet and a piece of cloth, right? And then it's just complete hearsay from there, and they're completely lucky that uh, <laughs> that they all confess or whatever because. <laughs> They got nothing on these people, and it and it would be totally possible that a maybe it's just none of the people that you've met yet. Maybe there's just some dude in an invisible man costume who's running around causing havoc or whatever, right? Like we don't know that it is automatically one of these four people unless we are like you or I understanding the rules of Scooby Doo, which is that obviously it's going to be someone we've met in the episode. But you know, she has no evidence. She's just completely blind guessing. But, you know, it's fine, because as you say, it would be a good reveal if the reasoning wasn't so incredibly stupid. So, Kenny, why don't you tell the audience what uh, what their motivation for doing this is? So the reveal, the reason they have decided to kidnap Simple Plan and try and sabotage them there is because these four characters who have not shared scenes together are actually all in a band together. And it's yes. a rival band, and they're like, and we wanted to kidnap Simple Plan so we could replace them at the festival. Then they pick up instruments and play terribly. And it's incredibly go. funny and also just a nonsensical motivation. Like, yes, yes. I mean, yeah. as you, as we've said, first of all, again, there's no reason why all four of these people should be in this town at one time, right? Doesn't make any sense. B, right. Uh, they don't interact with each other at all. <laughs> C, Zeke is the roadie for the band. He does not yeah. live in this town. <laughs> they theoretically, he, the, he, we see him driving the bus, so he's theoretically driving Simple Plan from town to town to concert to concert. When does he have time to make a band with Giddy Norton, a world-famous fashion designer, and this freak with a weird voice who lives in the middle of nowhere? When does this happen? That makes no sense. If it was like, well... All four of us have some other reason to have a grudge against the band, so we wanted them to miss their big concert. We did this or that. Like, that would be fine. Like, they could theoretically have, have met at a bar someplace or something and hatched this plan, right? But the idea yeah. that they have a band together is just insane. 
Yeah, I mean, and it's, I appreciate the thing of branching out, like, as I'm sure you've discussed in the original Scooby-Doo, the motivation is almost always about property rights and trying yeah. to get the deed to some, like, haunted mansion or haunted life ha- lighthouse or or something. So, and as influential as that was in teaching me that all good mysteries are ultimately about someone wants property, like, yeah. I appreciate them trying to come up with a different motivation, but it's also just, again... Complete, like completely nonsensical. Like, yeah. Don't get me well, wrong. It's a good reveal. I laughed a lot at like the like just them playing the instruments. Like, yeah. it is very silly, and, and it is it's a funny joke. Yeah. Also, their explanation for what the suit was is they're like, oh, it's a it's a camo type thing. Yeah. That was it. Gibby was building it for Jack Hunter's company. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll yeah. give him a I'll give him a pass on that one because like you know yeah. it, how do you make invisibility? Who knows? They're not going to solve that in this episode. <laughs> um, but one thing I do want one part of their plan I would like to touch on. You know, Scooby Doo has a has a storied history of people being kidnapped, right? Um, nobody ever dies, obviously, because it's Scooby Doo. They always get taken. Um, we find out that they have stashed the band in a bank vault in Huntersville, right? Now, mm-hmm. we, uh, we have established that their plan is to kidnap the band, lock them in the bank vault, and then take their place at this festival. So here's question number one. Um, what do they plan to do when they get to the festival? <laughs> what are they what are they they gonna say to the, the the people hosting the festival? Oh uh we're we're uh Simple Plan texted us and said, uh we're feeling a little sick. Could you take our place? Uh we've never played it before and we're very bad. Please let us on stage, right? Yeah. It's <laughs> Yeah, I sense. think the idea is I'm going, oh, where's Simple Plan and life such a last minute thing they'd have to let anyone on maybe that's the which is a classic children's show uh concept you know like that i'm sure that happens on drake and josh at some point um sure yeah uh here's problem number two festivals usually last for a few days right at least two or three simple plan is headlining this show which means they will play probably at least two nights. They're, they've locked them in a bank vault. They will probably suffocate within like 12 hours at the, at the least, or at the most, I should say. I mean, that seems a little brutal. They could have just locked them in the, in the bank in this town where nobody lives. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like they could have... Like they could didn't have to put them in the vault. They could just be in the in this room where they wouldn't be sucking up each other's air and and accelerating their death. It's t- terrifying. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where they seem to just use oh, it's a cartoon to cover for a lot of like yeah sloppiness in an episode that was just I bet we could get a simple plan to hang out for yeah. Well, I mean, even if uh. Even if there is 
airflow coming in and out of the uh, the the bank vault, which there very rarely is. Uh, you know, it's a couple of days. How long until you know? Sebastian is like, hey, Pierre's looking a little uh, delicious. I think maybe we cut off his leg and eat him, boys. You know, like they're gonna starve to death in there. Yeah, or, or die of thirst, or whatever. How long before simple plan turns on simple plan? How far does 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 you know the boys in the band really go before when you when you're pushed to that edge? How long before you start eating each other? Um, I mean, hopefully they had something to work for that. Maybe. Jack Hunter was going to just come back periodically to cook up stuff for his job as, like, the chef. But, yeah, it's terrifying to reckon with, like, how long were they going to just be locked up in there? And, I mean, you can go a couple days without food. It's like waters that's the real issue, but, like... Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, I have one last thing I want to to bring up about this episode. Um, Right... After after they have they have caught them and they've revealed that they are a band, Freddie drops an Elvis impression on us, and they oh, they, right. they cut immediately. Like this is a smash cut after this. They're like we're not gonna leave this with you for at all. He goes, the only person the uh, the only rock you guys are gonna be thinking of is Jailhouse Rock. And then he does a thank you, thank you very much in an Elvis voice. And then it just is, immediately goes to the Simple Plan concert yeah, with no like, other resolution. Like he's, he's barely even finished doing the, the impression and they've already cut. It's insane. It's like, yeah. Do you like his Elvis impression, Kenny? Do you think it's good? Uh, yeah, it's... There's definitely worse Elvis, Elvis impressions. Like, yeah. it's something that comes, again, very much out of nowhere and Certainly more personality than you typically get from Fred, whose right. personality in many of these iterations is he's is he's the leader and he has like a plan. Yep, he's a guy. Yeah. Who was your favorite member of Scooby Doo when you were a kid? Who was your favorite character? Oh, oh, definitely always Shaggy and Scooby because like yeah. I feel yeah, there's sort of your entry points into the thing where you're like. If you were solving mysteries, you would be just as like scared as they were, like a lot of the time. Just if, for sure. Yeah, you thought ghosts were co- coming up, and then it's yeah, and then yeah, you know they were all kind of there, but like Fr- Fred and Daphne, especially in the early iterations, are just kind of there. Like nothing. I remember reading an interview where they talk about the reason they always split up, whereas it's like Fred and Daphne go off, and then Vel- Velma goes off with the rest of them was. To separate the straight man from the comedians, just yeah, which is a interesting choice. It takes them a long time to figure out that the solution to Fred and Daphne being boring is not get rid of Fred and Daphne, but what if we make Fred and Daphne more interesting? <laughs> like, like it takes them until right about now, like this iteration, where they figure out, hey, we could actually give them a little bit more of some personality traits and, and keep them in the episode more as opposed to like, like replace them with scrappy do for 10 years or, you know, just, just have them split up and never do anything. <laughs> um, it, it takes a while, which I find pretty funny. 
Yeah. Uh, okay. So that's the episode. Do you have any final thoughts on the episode before we get into a little game here? Um, yeah, it was, as you said, it's not a very good episode of Scooby-Doo, but it's cer- certainly a very fun one. Like, yeah. it's, yeah. For sure. Yeah. It's definitely good to get that little, yeah, blast from the past and, oh, yeah. Probably, yeah. like, just go back to that clip of them just playing the instruments badly, uh, Fair, fair bit. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so this game is called Jinkies or Stinky, Kenny. And oh. the way the game works is that every week I uh, collect some stories that are somehow related to the episode. And some of those stories will be true, and some of them will be ones that I made up. So the true stories are Jinkies. And the fake ones are stinkies, right? Now, All right. For this week, I uh, wanted to relate to Simple Plan somehow. So, as everybody knows, Simple Plan uh, played at Warped Tour every year consecutively from 1999 to 2005, which is just the most early 2000s thing you can you can think of, right? So, yeah. I've collected six stories about uh, bands that also played at Warp Tour during that time. Okay? Okay. I'm going to read them off to you. So the first one, starting out with a story about Simple Plan themselves. Okay? So here it goes. Simple Plan's music video for their teen angst album, I'm Just a Kid, featured cameos from Tony Hawk, DJ Qualls, and Eliza, Eliza Dushku. Guitarist Jeff Stinko wound up dating Dushku for a brief period of time, but things ended just as quickly. The couple called it splits after Stinko got in a fistfight with David Boreanaz when Dushku took him to the set of Angel. No one knows exactly what started the fight, but tabloids at the time claimed it was because Stinko said Boreanaz looked like a pumpkin carving of himself. When interviewed about the incident some years later, Boreanaz said, I have no comment about the event, but Stinko is a living pile of cat turds. Is that a jinky or a stinky? I'm going to assume that's a jinky. That is a stinky. I made it up. Except for the only part that's true is that uh, Tony Hawk, DJ Qualls, and Eliza Dishku were in that music video. The uh, rest of it I made up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure. I'm like, I don't think David Boreanaz would have that much of a grudge against Jeff Stinko, but... <laughs> Could be. Who knows? Who knows? Jeff Stinko, a great name, by the way. Love that name. Okay. Less than one month after leaving Blink-182, Tom DeLong told a magazine that he had made contact with aliens. He claims that he was camping out near Area 51, and by making his brain completely blank, he was able to communicate with the extraterrestrial. He woke up at 3 a.m. and claimed his body felt like electricity itself, and he heard voices of more than 20 people. He couldn't, see, he couldn't see them or make sense of what they were saying, but he could tell that they were planning something. Since then, the organization DeLong founded for UFO research aided the New York Times in publishing classified footage of UFOs that the FBI later confirmed were real. So maybe he was telling the truth. Did Tom DeLong actually say those things? Jinky on that one. I know he loves those aliens. 
Awesome. That is correct. That is, that is a true story from our pal Tom DeLong. You know, whenever the FBI came out with those uh, those that footage a couple of years ago, that was him. So maybe he was telling the truth about this. Who knows? Yeah. Okay, moving on. Popular new metal band 311 once played Warp Tour three years in a row, but since then they have fallen from grace. Since 2011, they have had an annual festival cruise in the Caribbean featuring performances by the band, as well as various other bands you've never heard of. Things were going well for them until 2020. The ninth annual 311 Festival Cruise embarked for Miami on March 5th. By midday March 6th, 12 people had tested positive for the novel coronavirus. Rumors are it had come from the pop-punk revival band Pizza Burp, who had recently played a show in Naples. The cruise ship was stranded at sea for three weeks straight. Of the 3,000 passengers, roughly one-third reportedly got sick. No one died, but 311 and the cruise line are currently facing nearly $30 million in cumulative damages from lawsuits relating to reckless endangerment. Hmm. Yeah. This is a tricky one, because I recall the cruise stuff, but I do not know if 311 was, like, involved in this. Um, yeah. I'm going to say Stinky? You are correct. Uh, I, I mixed two stories together. 311 does have a cruise line. Uh, they did not have a cruise go out in, in uh, 2020. But there was a story of a cruise uh, off Miami that got stuck last year because of uh, COVID, which sucks. So I would, can't imagine anything... Any place I I want to be less than on a cruise ship with COVID. Yeah, that would not be fun. Yeah, terrifying. Okay, uh, moving on. We're halfway through your two for three. The Dropkick Murphys, made famous for their chart-topping hit Shipping Up to Boston, were banned from playing in Ireland by then-Prime Minister Bertie Ayrn for appropriate... For for appropriating Irish culture and, quote, being generally annoying. However, the band had a significant Irish listener base, so they planned a clandestine concert at the Rock of Cashel that would require them to sneak into the country across the border with Northern Ireland. The band planned to masquerade as a group of sheep herders and intended to hide their instruments in fake sheep made by a professional taxidermist. But when news of the concert picked up steam as it was shared on AOL, the group had to back down as they were threatened with 30 days in jail if they were to go through with it. Hmm. This is a a tough one. Um, Yeah. Was it, uh, I'm going to say Stinky. That's right, that's right. Silly little story. None of it is true. Just having some fun at the expense of the Dropkick Murphys. I'm sure they're nice people. You are very good at making up these, like, things. (laughs) I I try to get the details right. Okay, moving on. Joel Madden, frontman of Good Charlotte, famously had a whirlwind romance with the then-underage musician Hilary Duff. But did you know that he is now married to Nicole Ritchie and helped her write the music for her Quibi show, 
Nikki Fresh. Nikki Fresh, of course, being spelled uh, with a dollar sign as the S. Nikki Fresh was Richie's alter ego who wrote rap songs about the environment. Here are some lyrics for her ode to water. Drip, drip. Every morning I wake up and I'm parched like woe. Then I say to myself, girl, you need some H2O. So I shower, brush my teeth, and make some peppermint tea. Everything requires water, and so do me. Um, this one I know, um, like many people, I took advantage of a three-month free trial of QB and then canceled immediately after that was done. And while I did I'm not get well. far into Nikki Fresh, I do, I do believe that, yeah, that one is a jinky. That is true. Uh, something very funny about that is that Nikki, uh, Nicole Richie referred to this genre of pop yeah. or uh, of rap that she created as parent trap, which is just right. the corniest thing I've ever heard. Nikki okay. Fresh, one of the better reviewed shows on QB. It, I mean, it, it sounds just like stupid fun to me. Nicole Richie is. is like a actually pretty great comic actress. Like, yeah, I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. All right, finishing up with a story from the legendary Green Day. During their stay at the Los Angeles Sunset Marquee Hotel in 1997, Green Day proceeded to wreak havoc on the staff and the residents. They stole things, got in fights with other musicians, and walked around naked outside the Rolling Stones' hotel rooms in the hopes of pranking them. Worst of all was when bassist Mike Drimmer took a shit off his balcony. His feces landed on the balcony of legendary French actress and Academy Award winner Juliette Binoche, who naturally was furious. She complained to the management, but Green Day were allowed to stay. Is that true or false? Is that a junkie or sticky? Hmm. Um, I'm going to guess that is a jinky. It is a jinky. It's a true story. It's an insane story, at least especially the Julia Binoche part. Um, yeah. I couldn't figure out when they were staying there, but I do know that Julia Binoche won her Oscar in 1997, so uh, like she might have literally been at the hotel for the Academy Awards, um, which would really suck if this happened while that was going on. But um, either way... Uh, that's bad behavior, Green Day. Maybe don't do that. <laughs> okay, uh, right before we go, we have to rank this episode on our tier list. So there are five tiers. The greatest tier, the absolute cream of the crop, best episodes of the show are the Golden Scoop tier. Moving down below that is the Groovy tier. This is for episodes that are good, above average, really fun, but just aren't quite, you know, belong in the absolute canon. Right in the middle is the middle of the road. We call that Just Another Mystery. It's just like any other episode of Scooby-Doo. It doesn't do anything, you know, bad, but it doesn't do anything great. Under that is Scooby-Dumb, which is named after uh, Scooby's uh, unfortunately named cousin. It is for episodes that we don't necessarily like. There are some problems with them that might be just a little annoying at, at times, but they're not the worst of the worst. The worst of the worst, and your suggestion, is rut row. That's the very bottom. Where would you put this episode, Kenny? Hmm. 
I'll, yeah. tell, I'll tell you what I'm thinking. Okay. I'm thinking this is a Scooby Dumb for me. I've I have a lot of issues with it, but it is still fun. You know, it is still a silly watch, a bre- an easy breezy watch. It's not like, you know, I want to claw my eyes out. I could be persuaded to move it up to the middle tier, but I don't think I would go above that. Yeah. Um. Hmm. I would say. Yeah, this one's tricky because, like, if you're ranking it on how does it function as a mystery, it's definitely in one of the lower tiers. Yeah. If you're ranking it on how fun an episode of Scooby Doo is it, it's one of the higher tiers. Yeah. So I will split the difference and just say another mystery for this I one. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think I'm being a little, a little rude on it because. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just because it was a little silly, but there are a lot of silly episodes of this show. So I think we'll we'll slot it in right there at the middle at just another mystery. And that will conclude our episode. Thank you so much for joining me this week, Kenny. Do oh, you thanks have... for having me. Oh, absolutely. Do you have anything you want to plug, any social media or anything like that? Um, yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter at like a Wolverine. Um yeah. Awesome. You can <laughs> Yeah, and then as far as plugs going, I'll I'll give the same future plug I have for something that doesn't exist yet, but will in the spring when I have time, so I can listen back to this later and go, oh right, I should do this. Um, I am working on a podcast of my own now. It's called Pass the Golden Popcorn, and it is a MTV Movie Awards litigation podcast. Oh it, boy, yeah. A friend of mine will be going through different categories at the MTV Movie Awards year by year and looking over all the nominees in that year and deciding should, yeah, who who won, like how did these things get nominated and why it's MTV Movie Awards is famously like the kind of yeah, the sort of redheaded stepchild of the MTV yeah, award family where it does not get the attention that the VMAs get. But if you ever right. look into the thing, it's this wild. Yeah, sometimes there's wild choices like wedding singer beating Titanic for best kiss, or American Pie two beating Moulin Rouge for best kiss. Like it's yeah. That, the mean, first season I, yeah. is about best kisses, which is why that's all my like examples. Or Free Willy getting nominated for a. Kiss between the boy and Free Willy. Like, I mean, you yeah. got to start with with Best Kiss because that's like the iconic uh, award from the movie awards. But yeah, uh, that sounds amazing. I'm very excited. I didn't know that that was a thing until just now. This this podcast that you're proposing, I, I can't wait <laughs> to listen to it when you get it get it started. Yeah, that's. I'm gonna be probably waiting until the semester wraps up in like April and hopefully get it out there by May or June. And should be good. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, I can't wait, and I'll be uh, we taking taking a close fly on, on the golden popcorn, past the golden popcorn podcast. Absolutely. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode. I really appreciate it. Rate the episode if you feel so inclined. If you liked the episode, please go ahead and do that. Subscribe if you would like to hear more adventures from across the Scooby Verse. 
And I just really can't thank you enough for listening. So please have a wonderful day and keep meddling meddlers. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.